This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. So again, that's Acts 13, and we are going to begin at verse 13 and go through 41. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the prophet great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled uh, every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out All that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Brandon, if God had a to-do list, what would be on God's to-do list? Okay, it's kind of an odd question, but I kind of want to answer that because it's important to know. Think about, okay, what is God after? What does God want to get accomplished? You guys used to do lists? Yes, I do. I love to-do lists. It's a real awesome feeling to check something off your to-do list. And um, mention to-do list in sermon, check. Got that one done. Uh, but what is God after? What does God want to do? Well, I want to answer that question by doing a little bit of Bible study, going after some scripture here. So first of all, let's consider this. Here's John three seventeen, which gives us a, a hint of what, what God's going to do. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So when you put your resources to one thing, it's going to be an important thing. And God puts his resources to this thing to save the world so that the gospel would go to the world. In fact, he said this in Mark sixteen fifteen, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking now, he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. What is God after? What does he want to see happening? Well, he wants the gospel to go out to the whole creation. Well, why? Well, second Peter says this, the Lord not wishing, uh, the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I mean, God wants to see all men saved and he wants the gospel to get out to the entire world. Now, of course, I uh, realize that not all are chosen to salvation. Of course, I'm there and all of that, but I do want to point out to you that God is for sure after something, and that thing is the spreading of the gospel to the entire world. In fact, here is Ephesians 3, 7 through 11, which says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, here it is, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages of God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the, here it is, eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is God after? He wants the gospel to go everywhere. And he wants the church to spread the gospel. And we certainly see that in the book of Acts. We're turning to the book of Acts today. We've called this series a story of the church because what you see in the book of Acts is the church taking this message from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world doing the very thing that God wants to get accomplished. He wants the gospel to go out. God is at work. 
spreading the gospel to the world. Do you believe it? You, you with me so far on this? So here's the big question of the day. Will we join him? Will we join him in that work? We are his people, after all. And that's why it's important to answer the question, what's God doing today? Because if God is after something, shouldn't we, his people, be after that same thing? Now, why am I talking in those terms right now? Because I want to show you this in the text. Uh, We are in the book of Acts, and um, now, all of a sudden, the focus of the book of Acts turns uh, to Paul. And what we're going to see from here on out is... Paul being the central figure in the book. We see his salvation. Then in, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, we see him being called, uh, separated uh, in the church in Antioch to the work of the ministry. And, and now what we see is Paul going out, and here is the very first sermon Paul ever preaches. Now, I believe Paul has a couple of points in this sermon. I think uh, I'm going to show you what I believe is, is, is the point leading to the main point. Next week, we're going to really focus on the main point, but there's definitely something that Paul wants to point out, and Paul wants to point out that God is at work in the events in history. In fact, John Piper said this about the text. He said, this text is utterly saturated with God. Sixteen times, Paul presses home the truth that God is the central actor in history. Now, we're not going to go through all 16, but I do want to show this to you in the text, starting at verse 16. Let your eyes fall on verse 16, and just follow along with me if you would. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, watch these action words now. You just follow them on the text, see these action words. The God of Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. So God chose, God made, God led. God is at work. God is doing something. Take a look at verse number 18. It's really interesting. And for those 40 years, he put up with them. Now, by the way, you'll notice, if you take a look at your, if you have the ESV, you look in your footnotes, you'll notice it says some manuscripts say he carried. Now, what's happening here is in the original manuscripts, there's a little bit of discrepancy in one little mark. And so, and so it could mean that he carried them like a joyful child on his shoulders, or it could mean that he bore with them, carried them under uh, an impetulant, fussy child. So it's either that he's carrying him as a joyful child or he's putting up with a fussy child. Uh, and probably, if we're going to compare scripture with scripture, Deuteronomy 131 talks about God carrying a joyful child. So more than likely, that's what's meant here. But here's the point. God did it. God did it. God is at work. That's the point. Verse number 19. Look at this. And, he, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Egypt, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Who's, who's doing it? God is doing this. God is doing this. Then in verse number 21, they ask for a king, and God gives them Saul. Then he removes him in verse 22, and he raises up David over and over and over again. God, 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 God. God is at work. God is at work. That's the point Paul's trying to show. Okay, so what? Why? what's God doing? Why is he at work? What's he after? Well, look at verse number 38. And we'll see exactly what he's after. So he goes from David, jumps all the way to Jesus, mentioning John. So he's talking about Jesus now, comparing Jesus and David. And then in verse number 38, he's talking about Jesus here. And he says this, Let it be known. 
known to you. Therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which could not be freed by the law of Moses. I believe is a central message. There's freedom in Christ. And we'll focus more on that next week. But here's the point. God was at work. Why? Because there was a message to be proclaimed. And that message was forgiveness of sins and freedom in Jesus Christ. That's the thing that God is after. And so we should be after that as well. So again, God is at work. The big question is, will we join him? So let's do an overview today. I want to just grab from this whole story Uh, just an overview, and look at the actions here, and grab from this some actions that we can also take. If we're going to be on mission, we need to know why, because here's the reality. Something drives you. Tomorrow, you're going to probably go to work, or you're going to go to school, or you're going to just do the thing you normally do. And what's going to get you out of bed? What's going to get you up on a cold day? Is it supposed to be cold tomorrow? We're like in that time when it could be like really cold or really warm given the day. But, you know, the cold morning, what's going to get you in your car and driving? Something's going to be motivating you. Something drives you. If you're trying to figure out what that is, just think back to last Monday. (laughs) What really drove you? Chances are that's the same thing driving you tomorrow. And um, here's my challenge to you. Here's what I want it to be. God is about something. And that something is a furthering of the gospel message. Is that what's going to drive us? Is that going to be the key thing that moves us in our life? I hope so. And to see that happening, here are four action steps. Four action steps. Write the first one down. Uh, Live your life. Live your life. That seems a little weird, Pastor. Where's that coming from? let Let me show you in the text. Uh, This is very interesting. So back in verse number 13 now. So what we see in the first part of chapter 13, there's some extraordinary things happening. Some extraordinary things happening. You have the calling of Paul by the Holy Spirit out to, to spread the gospel to the world. That's extraordinary. But then he's doing it. And then all of a sudden life gets pretty ordinary. And so what you see here in verse 13 is just kind of like a list of stuff they're doing. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos to Pergia and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on to Perga and to Antioch and Bethsaida. So all these kind of, you know, they're just, just traveling. And I want you to think for a moment what that was probably like for Paul. He had to pack. He had to be sure he had, do I got my sandals? Do I got my turban? Do I got my, okay, I'm good. You know, he had to find food. He had to make lodgings. You know, just all the mundane, ordinary. And then suddenly on Saturday, he's like, okay, it's Sabbath day. What should we do? Well, we're just going to do what we always do. And we're going to go to the synagogue on Saturday because that's very normal for us. So in Paul's life, there was a mixture of the extraordinary being called out. And then a whole lot of just ordinary. And here's the thing. I think it's tempting to read this and to say, well, Paul's life, man. He was a missionary and he did all these things and he was called and so all oh, that's there and these extraordinary things happening and yeah, that's true for Paul. Is that true for us? Do you have a calling? Are you called? Let me pick the phone up and call you real quick so you know how to answer that question. Well, yeah, you, you just read it. Mark sixteen fifteen. 
Jesus said, go into all the world and, come on, preach the gospel. Say it with me. Preach the gospel. This is Jesus telling his disciples what he wants the church to do. And he wants the church to spread the gospel. That's the whole reason for the book of Acts, is to say, here's the spreading of the gospel to the world. And here we are now in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in America, and we have that same extraordinary call. And you've been saved, you've been called to be a part of a group of people that's spreading the gospel to our city. It's an extraordinary call. But you do that in a whole lot of ordinary. Because you go to work, and you eat your food. And you do your thing, and it feels very ordinary. What I want to say to you is that I mean, what you got to do is see the extraordinary call as you live in the ordinary. I'm saying it again. See and understand the extraordinary call that you have in the midst of all of the ordinary. In fact, the ordinary should be driven by the extraordinary call. Let me prove to you a couple other ways. Uh, this is Matthew 28. 18 through uh, 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's the next word you read there? I'll try it again. Uh, and, he, and he came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he says, Okay, the word go, you think it's like, Okay, I got to get up and go someplace. But in reality, in the Greek, it's better translated, As you are going. And the picture is, is as you live your life, as you do your thing, as you live, you are to make disciples. Here, live on the mission that God is accomplishing. And what I'm saying is, man, you don't need something massively extraordinary other than your calling you've already had to say, hey, I'm going to live on mission tomorrow. I'm going to live on mission tomorrow. What are you doing tomorrow? How many of you going to work tomorrow? Raise your hand. Come on, lift them up. Okay, good. All right, good. You going to school tomorrow? How many of you going to school? For Mark, it's like both, right? Uh, Harmon, he's the principal. So yeah, both. Uh, but for a lot, we're going to do our thing. And here's what I'm saying. Tomorrow, you got to rethink the way you see everything. And something's going to drive what you do. And I want to encourage you, man, to live tomorrow on, on this thing God wants to accomplish. The spreading of the gospel to the world. Living on mission. And, and you don't got to go someplace to do that. You just got to do it as you are going. In fact, let me show you this. And he made from one man, this is, is going to be later in Acts, Acts 17. Because here's the thing we often think about, like, I got to go... And, 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 or maybe some people say this, but I was just born at the wrong time. You ever feel like you are born at the wrong time? You can be honest with me. You say, yeah, I feel like I was born at the wrong time. I think my girls wish they were born in the Pride and Prejudice days, whenever those were, and living out Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Or she just wishes I was Mr. Darcy. I don't know. One of those two. But uh, the idea is that we kind of look and we kind of, but I want you to know this and feel confident in this. You are where you are, when you are. By the sovereign hand of God. Check this out. This is Acts 17, which says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each of us. Isn't that an awesome verse? Here's what that tells me. God has put you where he's put you and the people around you where he's put them so that they could find God if they just would seek him out 
and you are there to be God's missionary to tell them about the Lord. We often get the question at party with the pastors, um, what are you guys doing for outreach? Do you guys, you guys do anything for outreach? And uh, it's an interesting question. It is. Um, because the, what we used to do is a lot of programs. Now, growing up, for me, the program was just really one program, that is go knock on some doors. So we did a lot, did a lot of door knocking back in, back in the you know, 80s when I was growing up. And uh, we you know, would go and knock on people's doors and, and freak them out and then lead them to Jesus. That was kind of the plan. And, uh, um, you know, uh, and that's, you know, that's, I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, maybe God can, can use that. Uh, and, you know, what, what churches tend to kind of like grab programs. And hear me say this. I'm not against programs from time to time in their right place. They can be used for God's glory. And, and maybe you're a part of a program, a dinner program. And I'm not trying to knock that at all. What I'm saying is that, that outreach is not a program. It's a lifestyle. Listen to me now. Outreach is not a program. Outreach is a lifestyle. Unfortunately, when we do a lot of programs, what ends up happening is that very few people sign up for the programs. And then we all feel like we're accomplishing something because we have a program in our church. And and what we really need to do is be a people who live outreach as a lifestyle. But pastor, I'm busy. I'm busy, 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 busy. And we have more activities and things to do nowadays than ever before. And we can get, like, life just feels massively busy. And you think, okay, so now I've got to add outreach to what I'm doing? Now I've got to add these outreach things that I'm supposed to be doing to my already packed schedule? No, 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 no. I, I love what Matt Chandler said. I've said it before. I'll say it again here. I'm not asking you to add another dinner. I'm asking you to add another chair. As you are going, as you live your life. We are inviting others into that. For example, um, I am not ashamed to remind you that I play with Star Wars ships. Okay, I do. I have this game called X-Wing, and they're little, little, you know, Star Wars ships. And you can play a game. And had a bunch of guys from the church over a few weeks ago, and we played together. And you know, I won. But the thing was, is that it was, it was fun to gather together and to play. And but, but you know, Landon came, and Landon brought his friend, and his friend doesn't know the Lord. And we just invited him along. He had a blast that night. He, he flew the, um, you know, uh, Boba Fett's fire spray. So for those of you who are wondering, that's what he did. But anyway, um, uh, but he had, he had a great time. And we're going to do it again and invite him back and invite him back. Why? Because we just, we want to love him and win the opportunity to tell him about Jesus Christ. And it's just, it's not, and so I'm just going to keep playing Star Wars games until the whole city knows Jesus. Can I get a witness? Uh, but, but this is what we're talking about. It's like, as you live your life, but, but is the mentality of, this is what I'm after today. It's the mentality of whatever I'm doing is for the mission of Jesus Christ. So I'm not just going to live my life motivated by something else. I'm going to let the mission that God's called me to be the main driver. A couple questions for you. In what ways can you invite others in your life to love them in order to win them? In what ways can you invite others into your life to love them in order to win them? How can you and your family add another chair, so to speak? And I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I really think hospitality is the key way to win people to Jesus in our day and age. Inviting them in, loving them well. All right, live your life. God has put you where he's put you, when he's put you, surrounded you with the people he has so that you would love them well to win them to Jesus. So then takes this as well, not just live your life, but also seize the opportunities, seize the opportunities so let's go back to the text. And so uh, here's what we have, uh, 13. 
uh, they're just kind of doing their thing. And then they, on 14, they, on the Sabbath day, they go to the synagogue and they sit down. And then in verse 15, we see this. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. I don't, I don't know exactly what that looked like. I imagine there's like a little note that, hey, pass this down to Paul. And they kind of pass it on down. And then Paul got the note and he opened it and he said, oh, no, I'm good. No, thank you. I don't need to say anything at all. <laughs> no, look at, what, look at what he did. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, everyone shut up, you know, kind of thing. He said, and then he launches into this sermon. The opportunity came, man, and Paul just sees that opportunity, and he preaches Jesus. So I'm saying to you, yes, live your life, but then when the opportunities come up, man, grab a hold of those opportunities and preach Jesus. So what does that look like? How do you know an opportunity when it comes your way? How can you grab a hold of opportunities in your life specifically? Well, okay, great question. Thanks for asking that. Let me give you a couple of things to think through. Uh, for one thing, for sure, man, right? You live your life in such a way that people ask for the hope that is within you. That's scripture. So you have such a trust in Jesus that no matter what comes your way, you're like, I'm good, man. Jesus has got me. I'm good with this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in such a way that people look at, me, look at him and say, there is a hope in him that I don't have. There is a hope in her that I don't have. And I want that. And, and then maybe what will happen is they'll come and say, why do you have that hope? And you can say, Jesus is it. For sure, that's an opportunity that can come your way. And you can seize that. But I don't think that's the only opportunity. I, so let me, let me teach it to you this way. Um, I want to go way back to basic question here and ask you this question. Why do you exist? What is the meaning of life? Who knows the answer to that question? Why do you exist? What's the meaning of your life? Here it is. You got it. To bring God glory. That's the meaning of life. Westminster Shorter Catechism, to, um, to bring God glory and to enjoy him every day. So that, that's why you exist. Amen? Fantastic. What does that look like? Tomorrow's tomorrow. I keep talking that way because I'm trying to help you see the very practical day-in, day-out reality of this. What do you do? on a Monday that brings God glory. Now, for sure, love your wife, for sure, love your kids, for sure, all those things are there. But, but I want to help you see what the scripture has to say. And I think that 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 give an excellent description of what it means to actually bring God glory. So here's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, which says this. I love this. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had never received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, you've got mercy. You're God's people. You've been called out of darkness into his light. Why? That you may proclaim his excellencies. That you may proclaim his excellencies. Say it with me. That you you may proclaim his excellencies. It is telling the world how excellent and how amazing your God is. That's what it means to bring him glory. It's what the sunrise does. It's 
driving into church this morning, watching the sunrise, and like, man, God is awesome. Because that's what the sunrise is telling me. My God is awesome. And you've been told, you've been shown, God is awesome and gave his son to die for you. So now what you are to do is to proclaim his excellencies. How do I bring glory to God at work? I talk about how awesome my God is. Oh, pastor, if I talk about God at work, I'm going to get fired. Really, though? I mean, we're in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're in the buckle of the Bible belt. <laughs> Chances are you're talking about God's not going to get you fired. Now, I'm not asking you to be ridiculous. Maybe a little. And just talk about how great your God is. Oh, that. How do you bring God glory at home, man? You gather your family around the breakfast table and you say, this oatmeal was given to us by God. Can I get a witness? Now, by the way, here's, here's what you do with oatmeal. You also use God-given butter and God-given sugar and you mix that all together. And, you know, that's, and then Jesus is there. And so anyway, uh, but that's, kids, God has provided this for us. Isn't he so good? Isn't he so good? And you're, you're, how do you bring God glory to your marriage? You remind your spouse about how beautiful Jesus is and how great he is. Yes, how you live and how you love, but also in what you say. This is my point. It's more than just living a good life. It is living a good life. It is living a life secured in Christ. But man, you are to open up your mouth and say it. To proclaim his excellencies. Now, how does proclaiming the excellencies, how does bringing God glory, how does that win me gospel opportunities? Well, consider this. Here's Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says this. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yes, so that they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So there is this longing in the heart of everybody. Everybody has a longing in their heart for something more. Why? Because God put it there. And they're trying to fill it up. And nothing's going to work. But when they see you and they hear you talk about how satisfied you are in Christ, man, they're going to be like, maybe that's, maybe that's what I'm missing. And as you bring God glory, there's a massive opportunities there. Now, can I just pause and say, maybe it's hard for you to say those things because you're struggling to believe them yourself. And there could be some things in your life that made it really hard for you to really believe that Jesus is that good. And I would love to be able to talk with you and get some biblical counselors with you to help you work through some of those things. And so, so let us know. But let's see how that will affect your evangelism. I uh, love the story of Bart Brewer. Bart Brewer was a Jesuit Catholic priest. Bart um, was one of these guys who would wear the spiky belts. He would flog himself hit himself in the head. He would do all these things to penance of his sin to earn favor with God. And he had a, a couple in his life that were Christians, they were believers, and they um, didn't argue with him. They just invited them into their home and just let them see how much they loved God. They just proclaimed his excellencies to him. And, and just seeing that love, feeling that love, Bart ended up coming to Christ and ended up actually being a very passionate evangelist to people who were lost in Catholicism and began writing books and was really effectively used of God. And all of that happened because people just proclaimed 
his excellencies, opened up their home and proclaimed his excellencies. So how do we do this, man? How do we, how do we live on mission? God's about something. It's about the spreading of the gospel to the world. How do we partner with that? Well, one of the ways is we live your life in the times and the boundaries that God has given you. You seize the opportunities of bringing him glory, proclaiming that, and grabbing those opportunities as they come. And then this should be pretty self-explanatory, but let me, let me just throw it out there. Um, use the Bible. Use the Bible. Why are you saying that? Well, look, look at this text. I mean, it's saturated with biblical truth. I mean, it is all over. In verse 33, uh, Paul is quoting from uh, Psalm 2. Uh, in verse uh, 34 as well, Psalm 2. Then you get to verse 35 where he's quoting from Psalm 16. Then you get to verse 41 where he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 1. And then all the story he tells is all a biblical story in the book of Genesis. And Paul is just, I mean, he's just, he's just preaching the Bible. Now, what's awesome about this is that like, like uh, when you consider uh, how knowledgeable Paul is, and he, Paul knows his Bible, baby, and he's in there in detail. In fact, he's talking about like that was 450 years, and like he really knows his Bible. Where did Paul learn all that? Well, he was a good Jewish boy, and he learned that growing up in Judaism. And, you know, little Jewish boys, they, they memorized the Pentateuch. So he had all this memorized and all this knowledge there. And, and, and then he was a Pharisee where he was really taught the word of God. But listen to me, most of his Bible knowledge came when he wasn't even saved. But being brought up and told the truth and, and then on the road to Damascus, he comes to know Christ. Can you imagine the light bulbs that were going off for Paul? Like, oh, oh, and oh, and this, and oh, that's Jesus. And that, that's why he's doing the text. He says, Psalm 2, that was Jesus. Psalm 16, that was Jesus. Habakkuk 1, that was Jesus. He's recognizing Jesus, making all those connections. And then he preaches the word. He's got the opportunity. He just opens up God's word, all this knowledge. He just preaches the word. So let me give you a couple of words of encouragement there. Number one. Some of you guys are training up your children in Bible knowledge and you're teaching your kids Bible. And sometimes it feels they ain't getting it. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, uh, the Bible says don't lie. What does the Bible say? The Bible says don't lie. Oh, good job, Jimmy. So now let me ask you, where'd you get that cookie? Um, Dad gave it to me. <laughs> no. Right away, just like they don't get it. What? And you feel like all this time, are they really getting it? Well, uh, here's, here's the, the joy. When you lay all those truths down, um, Matt Chandler says it's like laying kindling around a fire. It's like putting pieces of wood down around a not yet lit fire. And then you wait for the Holy Spirit to ignite the spirit, to see the truth, and boom, that fire can just blaze to life with all of this knowledge because God just awakens the heart to believe. So keep at it. I'll say that to you guys who are parenting young kids. I'll say it to you guys who are parenting older kids, maybe even adult kids that you're praying for. Man, what can God do to ignite that fire and to light it up for them, for them to see it? So that's really important to understand, like keep teaching the word of God. But the point I really want to make is how Paul does it. So here's Paul. He's given the opportunity and what he does to bring the gospel message home, to be about spreading the gospel, is he uses the Bible. And we see it all throughout the book of Acts. Every sermon that we see is saturated in biblical truth. Why? Because the Bible says this. 
The word of God is living and active, sharpening to edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Why? Because the Bible can cut through everything and get right down to the heart. Now, the argument I often hear is, well, what if they don't believe the Bible? Right? What if they don't believe the Bible? Then what are we going to do? Hey, Mark, would you come in for a second, Mark Harmon? What's up, Mark? No, no, come on up. It's fine. Come on up. Come on up. Uh, Mark, I want you to tell me that you don't believe in my knife. <laughs> That's good enough. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, yeah you're, you're free. <laughs> Uh, how much does it matter if Mark believes in my knife or not? The power is not in Mark's belief in the object. The power is in the object itself. The power of the word of God does not believe in their doubting of the word of God or their belief in the word of God. It does not rob God's word of its power. It still cuts the dividing asunder of soul, spirits, joints, and marrow, and it still discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Don't be afraid to use the word of God. So what does, again, I keep saying it all morning, what does it look like then? What does that look like? Well, I think you need to do some scripture memory. I think that'll help you. When Jesus was fighting against Satan, he had scripture memorized. And he was able to fight against the enemy with scripture. And uh, I'm a part of a group of guys who've been going on for, what, Matt, over a year now, right? Uh, Matt's in that group. We're just memorizing scripture together, memorizing verses together. Right now we're working on Psalm 103. I was reviewing it on the way in because I'm a little behind. I, I, I missed last week, so I'm trying to get caught up a little bit. And I was listening to it on the way in this morning. just being saturated again with the beautiful Psalm 103. It's just gorgeous. It's just so encouraging. Uh, so so that, that will help you. But if you're kind of new to this, I, I would at least encourage you to memorize the Romans Road. Here's what I mean by the Romans Road. There are these verses. Uh, write these down. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. So we're all sinners. Because we sin, we deserve hell. That's what that's saying. But then you have Romans 5.8, which says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for our sins. And then lastly, Romans 10, 13, which says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a good handy four verses to put to memory to be able to lead someone to the truths of the gospel. Which does actually bring us to our last point. What are we going to do to be on mission? You're going to live your life. You're going to seize the opportunities. You're going to use the Bible. Amen? And then we're going to do this. We're going to preach the message. We're going to preach the message. Let your eyeballs fall on verse 24 for a second. I want you to see this. Paul's point, God's at work. God's at work. God's at work. God's doing something. He's the actor in history. He's doing something. So what's he doing? Well, look at verse 24 to see what he's actually about here. In verse 24, the Bible says this. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing, I'm on the wrong verse here. Verse number 26. Verse number 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. 
God has sent us a message. What is that message? Again, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free from by the law of Moses. So what's the message? Jesus died for you to give us forgiveness of sins that we can be free. That's the message. That's the message of the church. That's the message of the gospel. That's what God wants us to proclaim and be about. But the church has gotten off. The church in America has gotten way off on this. And they are, there are competing messages that are out there competing with the truth of the gospel. So we did a little survey and we polled 100 people and here's what the survey says. Let me give you the top five messages that are out there in the church today that are competing with the gospel. Top five messages. Here's number five. There are injustices to be corrected. There are injustices to be corrected. That is a message a lot of the churches are pulling up and they're preaching as the main message of the day. Now, is it true that there are injustices? So we don't do any benefit by trying to say there have not been injustices. There have been injustices. Do they need corrected? They do. Is that the main message of the church? Sorry, but it's not. And we can preach that message, but we can't make it the main thing. Because the main thing is the gospel. And by the way, um, there's no injustice that's going to escape the hand of God. You track with me on this? Injustices are corrected either at the cross, is where we want them to be corrected, or at the judgment seat of Christ. Number four, there is prosperity for you in Jesus. You just have enough faith. You can just speak the right words, man. You don't have to be sick anymore, and you can be wealthy. Isn't that a nice message? Name it and claim it. Some this morning said, blab it and grab it. I mean, whatever it is. Uh, there's a prosperity message for you. It is, it, and I can't even say that one's true because it's not true. Is there prosperity in Christ? Well, yes, spiritual prosperity in eternity. But the Bible is really clear that you'll suffer some and you probably won't be rich. So sorry to wreck your morning. Number three, third competing message. There's a better life for you in Jesus a better marriage, better kids, a better home. Now, it is true that when you operate the way that God wants you to operate, life goes better. That is true. God wrote a book for a reason. And we teach people in counseling all the time. This is how to function within the way that God taught you. But I want to say to you, Jesus didn't die to give you a better life. The main problem isn't that your life sucks. More on that in a second. Number two. Uh, this is getting a little closer to home now. Uh, we need to win our culture slash our country back to Jesus. It's a big time message the church is preaching today and churches are preaching today. We've got to be careful about that. Um, I can't sit here and guarantee that America will ever come back to Jesus. I want to see it. I want to have a start in Fort Wayne, baby, and then spread across the country. I'd love to see the whole nation return to being a God-centered country, but it's not the main message of the church. And this one probably hits really close to home. I can be a better person, number one. The number one reason, number one competing message out there, I think, for our church is I can be a better person with Jesus. And I'm putting my hope in the someday version of me that's just better, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is, well, here it is. All these things are answering some root problem. Like, they see some problem as the root problem. Is injustice the root problem? Well, 
or, or my suffering, is that the root problem? Or, or a better me, is that the root problem? A better country, is that the root problem? None of those things are the root problem. What's the root problem, church? Yeah, Matthew one twenty one says this, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Read it with me now. For he will save his people from their sins. The root problem is sin. And I don't care how your neighbor votes. I ache for the injustices your neighbor has felt, but the best thing that he can know is not that there's justice for him, but the best thing he can know is that Jesus has died for his sin. What we need to be about is a proclamation of the gospel message to a lost and dying world. So, here's what I'm after today. Something's going to move you tomorrow. You're going to live your life aiming for something. Being motivated by something. Church, let it be the thing that God is doing. Let it be the mission of proclaiming the gospel to the world. And just see what God will do as you live your life. As you... Uh, seize the opportunities as you use his word and as you preach the message. So, Father, we ask for your help in all those things. Send us out now with this deep in our hearts and moving us to live differently tomorrow. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.